Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The Word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bible to the book of Revelation chapter 1. As you turn there, I want to remind you that our Temple Improvement Challenge starts this Sunday. And so not only do we believe in divine healing, but we also believe in the natural things to be healthy. Amen? So the steps of this challenge is to read the Temple Improvement 21-day devotional. You'll be able to, by Sunday, to get it on the website, and you can print it out. Or you can access it on the Uversion Bible app and to read the devotion on there. The second part of the challenge is to drink one gallon of water a day. Sounds like, oh, no, that's a real challenge. Number three, if you haven't had a physical in the last two years, schedule one with your physician. Number four, start an exercise routine. And number five, eat healthier. You know, we all like to eat healthier, and I'm planning to eat healthier. And then about an hour before I came in here, someone texted me. It was a coupon for Krispy Kreme donuts. It was like half off. I was like, no, I can't do that. The way my health goals are set up, I can't do that. And then some of you have said, man, that's an easy challenge. How many think that's an easy challenge? Good. So here's the advanced challenge. Here's the one that I'm personally doing. For the first level, it's every day for the first week, five push-ups, five sit-ups, five squats, five jumping jacks, and five minutes of cardio. That's the first level. Then you add 10 the next week for every day. And then the third week, you add another 10. So you finish doing 25 of those every day. But that's the first level. Say first level. Now the second level... You start at 10, but you add 15 to it every week. Some of you are like, it's not sounding that easy anymore. The next one, you start at 15. Some of you are like, yeah, we ain't going that far, Pastor. (laughs) And then you add 15 to that every week. So for those who need a little bit more advanced... There's your advanced part of the challenge. For everyone else that waters enough, you already know your challenge. <laughs> Go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We'll start with verse 5. On Wednesday night for the last several weeks, we've been talking about the extravagant love of God. We've been talking about how much God loves us. I encourage you, if you haven't been here, to go to our podcast or go to our website so you can get all the messages for free. Revelation chapter 1. One of the things you have to understand when you read this book, remember who it was written to. Remember under the conditions he was in. This is the Apostle John, the last remaining original disciple of Jesus. Everyone else has been martyred. Everyone else has died off. John's an old man right now. He was overseeing Paul's churches that he started, but Paul has been, of course, martyred by now. So Paul t- 
John took over the churches Paul started in modern-day Turkey. He's living in Ephesus. He pastors the churches. He takes care of Jesus' mother Mary until she goes home to be with the Lord. And as he's in Ephesus, Caesar sends guards to arrest him, makes him take a journey to Rome where he stands trial, and Caesar, very full of himself, found this. I found the last original disciple of Jesus, and if I kill him, I can squash the whole thing. And so he says, John, you're an old man. Don't be martyred like the rest of them. Recant. Worship me, and I'll let you go live out the rest of your life. John refuses. Caesar threatens him. If you refuse, I'm going to drop you in a vat of boiling oil. John still refuses. So they put John on a hook and lower him into a vat of boiling oil. They bring him back out unscathed, unharmed. Caesar has met a man he couldn't kill. So he decides to banish him to the Isle of Patmos, a flat island, not a tropical vacation spot. But he was a political prisoner. Now, what was different between political prisoners and the normal prisoners who have done some type of crime against the empire, the criminals would be beaten and then put into slave labor, but they would still be provided food and clothes and shelter. The political prisoners were dropped off the boat and were told to wander around. So they don't have any food, they don't have any clothes, they don't have any shelter. They have to fend for themselves. So here's this older man walking around the island. No provision, no food, all for the sake of Jesus. He finds this cave, thinking this is where I'm going to live. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice. So verse 5. He says, this letter is, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He tells about himself, verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. It doesn't matter your surroundings. You can still get in the spirit. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and Smyrna, unto Pergamos and Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Now, that's a weird phrase because we wouldn't say I turned to see the voice. I'm turned to see who it is. But when John hears a voice behind him, we know who the voice is. We know it's Jesus. But imagine John. He hasn't seen Jesus for almost 60 years in person. He's been living by faith. The only voice, he would have the voice of the Holy Ghost in his heart. He's been preaching, been teaching, he's been persecuted for the sake of Christ. He has survived all this persecution. He's outlasted all the other disciples. And now he hears a voice behind him and he knows that voice. It is the voice of Jesus. You see, there's many grand things God did in the lives of many of the apostles in the New Testament. But there's some specific things we see about John and how the revelation of the love of God transformed him. We looked at what the revelation of the love of God did to Paul, but it also did some unique things to John. So let's take a look at it. Go to John 13. According to historians and theologians, John is the youngest disciple that Jesus called. He is the baby of the group. Most think Peter was the oldest, so that's why Jesus paired them. He put the oldest and the youngest together. Some say John could have been as young as 14. 
He is the youngest of the group. Lives, walks with Jesus for three years. When he wrote, wrote the beginning of 1 John, he says, I'm telling you about what I've seen, what I've heard, what I experienced, what I know. I was right there. So in John 13, you have an interesting story. It's the same in all the gospel, except John has a little bit difference to it. He says, I speak not of you all, Jesus speaking. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture may be fulfilled. He that has eaten bread with me has lifted up his heel against me, or he who's sitting down eating my food has turned against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receives whomsoever I send receives me, and he that receiveth me receives him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. We know the other gospel says they went to each other, is it I, is it I, is it I? But notice what happened when they're trying to figure out. Because Jesus is obviously not answering them. If they're saying, is it I, is it I? What does the next verse say? Now there was leaning on Jesus one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. John, in his letters, identifies himself as a disciple that Jesus loved. So that's already a revelation right there. He could have said his name. He could have said me. He said the disciple that Jesus loved. But beyond that, he's leaning on Jesus. He's not going to mind I'm sitting close to him. Think about this revelation. A lot of you, if Jesus appeared, y'all would bow. You would worship. You'd be ready to hear Jesus is right there, and John's leaning on him. He has a different mentality where it comes to Jesus. Any of them could be sitting next to him. There's at least two next to him, but the only one leaning on Jesus is John. And we talked about lean last week. If you missed that message, you need to go back and hear it, especially what the Lord said at the end through tongues and interpretation of tongues. So now there was leaning on Jesus, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. Peter is the leader. He's already part of the inner circle. But Peter doesn't ask. Peter is doing sign language to John. Hey, you ask him. So it's not just John who has this mentality. Peter knows if John asks for something, he's going to get it. Peter got responses anytime he talked. He has great testimonies about him, what he did well, what he didn't do well. But Peter had this belief, if John asks, he's going to get what he asked for. John must have believed it too. Because lying on Jesus, he said, Lord, who is it? And what happens next? Jesus answered. So Peter believed it. John believed it. And so did Jesus. But apparently Jesus didn't answer it loud enough for everyone to hear because everyone else is still confused. But John got an answer when everyone else didn't. He tells them it's by parable Judas Iscariot and Judas leaves. But no one knows why Judas left. The only people know is Jesus and John. All of the apostles wanted to know the answer of who would betray Jesus. Peter believed John could get an answer, so he motioned to John to ask Jesus. Peter was right. 
John received the answer. There is a key in John's mentality and belief that enabled him to receive revelation the rest could not receive. You can have a mentality and a belief system that gets things from God that no one else can get. Go to John chapter 20, verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 1. The first day of the week is when Jesus raised from the dead. Comes Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and sees a stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. We know that's John. And says unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. That's biblical shade. John was like, Peter is slow. For the rest of eternity, I want you all to know, I beat Peter running to the tomb. And so John stops at the tomb, stoops down, looks in, and saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Then comes Simon Peter following him. So notice he's adding, I was there while I looked around, and Peter still wasn't here yet. So by the time Peter gets there, he goes straight in. He sees the napkin that was about the head, not lined with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which came to the first to the sepulcher. He adds again, I was there first. And he saw and what? For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. So who was one of the first people to believe that Jesus raised from the dead? John. But notice what the next scripture says. He did not even know the scripture. He didn't understand the scripture. So he doesn't even have a biblical foundation for his belief yet. But he was able to quickly believe because of his mentality. Peter didn't believe yet. Mary Magdalene didn't believe yet, yet they saw the same thing. John looked and believed. He believed that Jesus was alive. He said, I can't explain it, but I believe. The rest of the disciples didn't even believe yet, but John did. The reason John believed so quick is the same reason he could receive information the rest couldn't. Go to the next chapter, John 21. See, this baby of the group developed such a mentality that he could receive the rest, what the rest couldn't, and he believed quicker. John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus with the twin, and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other of his disciples, Simon Peter says unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, we're going with you. Peter's the leader, and this is, hey, we're hanging with you. They went forth and entered the ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. So Paul's there. No one on the boat knows Jesus is on the shore, right? Then Jesus said unto them, children, do you have any food? The answer said, no. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find some. 
They cast therefore, and now they are not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Peter didn't know it was Jesus yet. Even though he did the same miracle again, the rest of the disciples didn't know it. It took them, took John announcing, hey, that's Jesus. And what did Peter do? He jumped in the ocean and went to Jesus. But John was able to recognize him when everyone else couldn't. See, there's something about John's mentality that enabled him to have insight into Jesus, receive things from Jesus no one else could, as well as get to places no one else could. That allowed him to believe quicker. There was something about him. See, John has been called the apostle of love because of the many teachings of love found in his writings. But throughout the Gospels, you see his mentality. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. One of the things that marked John the most out of his three years of living with Jesus is he loves me. You know, this is not something he just started saying when he was old. You know he had to start saying it then. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me, so of course he's going to tell me things. He's loves, he loves me, so of course I'm going to recognize him. He loves me, so I don't have to understand it. I don't need a five-hour message. I'm going to believe. Based on the revelation, he loves me. You could be a baby Christian. You could have just got saved yesterday. He says, well, I don't know all these things. You don't have to know all these things to believe. You just got to know one thing. He loves me. Go to John chapter 5. Strong belief in God's love for you will give you access to answers and give you insight into the person of Jesus. It will enable you to believe quicker. Access to answers and insight into who Jesus is can be described as revelation. John chapter 5, verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for what things soever he does, these also does the Son likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that himself does. He will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Jesus says, God, the Father shows me things because he loves me. Amplified Classic Edition says it this way. The Father dearly loves the Son and discloses to, shows him everything that he himself does. And he will disclose to him and let him see greater things yet than these, so that you may marvel and be full of wonder and astonishment. The Living Bible says, For the Father loves the Son and tells him everything he is doing. And the Son will do far more awesome miracles than this man's healing. The Message Version says, The Father loves the Son and includes him in everything he's doing. Revelation is attached to the love of God. And notice, Jesus said, he's going to show me because he loves me. And so everybody else can go, wow. God wants people to go, wow, in your life. Not because you're perfect, but because he loves you. 
Love, revelation, manifestation. It's the manifestation that brings the wow, that brings the amazement, that brings the astonishment, that brings the wonder. Causes people who scratch their heads going, how in the world did that happen? And your response, he loves me. Go to John 14, verse 21. John chapter 14, verse 21. You say, well, that's what the Father did for Jesus. Well, John 14, 21, Jesus says, He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Amplified Classic Edition says it this way, the person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and will show, reveal, manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. The Living Bible says, the one who obeys me is the one who loves me. And because he loves me, my Father will love him and I will too. And I will reveal myself to him. Now, how does he reveal himself to us in this day and age? Verse 26. But the Comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Everyone who's a believer, everyone who's been born again has received the Holy Ghost on the inside of them. But not everybody receives revelation. Not everybody gets clear insight into who Jesus is. Not everybody who's saved has clear, plain understanding of who Jesus is. But those who love him and receive of the love of the Father get this information. It's not that God plays favorites because he doesn't. He says he's no respecter of persons. He's a respecter of faith. He loves everybody the same. But the thing is, not everyone believes the same. Every Christian has mental knowledge of God loves me, but not all of them let it go deep down in their heart to where it affects their everyday life. Those who let the revelation of how much God loves them, or as John 17 says that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus, those who let it go down in their heart deep will experience what the rest of Christianity doesn't. They will receive insight. They will receive revelation. They will receive manifestation that makes the rest of the world go, wow. Based on the revelation of how much Jesus loves you, not on the revelation of what your works can do. People think, well, God's going to do this because I did this, that, and the other. Now, yes, you should do this, that, and the other. Oh, I'm going to have a manifestation because I prayed, because I spoke the word. I did my faith confession. I read the Bible. I prayed in the Holy Ghost. I praised. I did all those things. Yes, you should do all these things, but you're going to receive because God loves you. Hebrews 11 says those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Don't just believe that he exists. Believe that he is love and that he loves you. So when you come to him believing that he is love and that he loves you, of course he's going to answer your prayer. Because you have to think you have standing because you're the righteous God in Christ Jesus. So you can come into heaven at the throne of God and ask for forgiveness no matter what you do. But if you think, 
oh, how can I get God to forgive me? I've really messed it up big time. It's not based on your performance whether God forgives you or not. It's based on what Jesus did. But because he loves you, you could have messed up royally. You could walk in and say, please forgive me. I repent. I am sorry. And he forgives you because he loves you. You have to get this in the back of your mind. God loves me. 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 That will change not just your thinking, but your faith. Because remember, Paul said in Galatians that our faith is fueled or made effective or efficient by the love of God. You could be believing for anything, and you receive better and quicker if you start believing God loves you. Jesus reveals himself by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. One of the things you see from John 17, 23 also is that God put that love he had for Jesus and that love he has for us and put it on the inside of us. So if you're a believer, this amazing extravagant love is already on the inside of you. Do you know what that means? You don't have to run to some far off place to feel the love of God. You don't have to go to some conference just to experience God's love. His love is on the inside of you. You just got to stir it up. How do you stir it up? Start talking about it. Start saying it every day. Throughout the day, God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. You say your name. God loves me. God loves me. God loves Kara. God loves me. God loves Kara. God loves me. God loves me on my worst day. God loves me on my best day. It doesn't matter what I do. God loves me. You start singing about the love of God. You sing every song. You know about how much God loves you, how much Jesus loves you. What are you doing? You're stirring up the love of God. Then he begin to experience his love. We already looked how revelation of the love of God gives you confidence and makes you a champion. That's how Paul could always overcome every situation because he knew that God loved him. He says, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved me. He says, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how Paul went through everything he went through because he knew Jesus loved him. When you have that revelation, it doesn't matter what comes, hell or high water. You know you win because Jesus loves you. Your faith has to be founded in the love of Jesus. Not what you can do, but in what he did. Because everything he did, he did it because he loves you. Your faith has to be founded in the love of God. And John 15, let's go there, John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue or remain or abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love even as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The Living Bible says, I have loved you even as my Father has loved you. Live within my love. The message version says, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. So as you do the things that Jesus taught, as you do the things the Bible teaches you to do, as you begin to sing and talk about and think on and meditate the love of God, you'll make yourself at home in the love of God. We behave different ways when we're at home. You know, you'll be out places and you put your best behavior. You sit up correctly. You talk with the right speech, the right enunciation, depending on where you are. But when you're at home, you're at home. You're relaxed. You're not putting on anything extra because you're at home. 
He says, make yourself at home in my love. Come so confident in the revelation and relax. God loves me. Because so many people are still fake with God. See, going into the presence of God and being fake is not faith. You have to go into the presence of God saying, this is where I'm at. This is who I am. This is where I am. When faith kicks in, you begin to say, but I'm not going to stay there. Because the Bible says this, so this is where I'm going. Stop putting up all the fronts and the masks when you go in to talk to God. Go in boldly because of what Jesus did. And go in boldly because you know your Father loves you. Go, I'm going to receive what I'm asking for because he loves me. I'm asking according to his word. I'm asking in the name of his son. He loves me. And what happens when you grow in this revelation of the love of God? You're not going to ask for something wrong. Because now you're doing what he says. You're walking in love. You're thinking love. You're thinking, how do I love like Jesus? You've transformed into not just receiving love. Now you're a conduit. Now God can love through you. And so you're in such a reality of just because you see something on the news, just because someone does something to you, it's like, I'm not going to be moved. He loves me. Yep, my house is not going to fall. It's built on the rock. What is part of that rock of revelation? He loves me. We talked about last week. Who's that coming out of the wilderness leaning on their beloved? That's you. You come out of situations because he loves you. I don't care if you put yourself in that situation. He'll bring you out because he loves you. It may take you some time to get back to where he's supposed to be. But you know you're going to get there because he loves you. So go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, as we begin to bring this thing to a close. So we see this mentality and belief in Revelation John had about the love of God, right? So think about it this way. The book of Revelation. Who did he give it to? The disciple that Jesus loved. We know how Paul received a lot of his revelation. You read in the 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Paul prayed in the Holy Ghost. He prayed on mysteries, divine secrets, plans, and purposes. He interpreted it back. That's how he received such revelation. What's one of the ways John received revelation? Out of the love of God. So John's on an island, not knowing what he's going to do, and Jesus shows up and gives him this entire book of revelation. And then in the book, if you read it, an angel tells John, you're not done yet. You ain't going to die here. You have to go back and preach. You have to go back and prophesy. You got to go back and talk to kings. You're not, your story does not end here. And John's story didn't end here. Do you know how John died? Got even older than this. Gathered his disciples around him. Talked to them. Says, love the brethren. And went to sleep. He went when he was ready. Like, I'm out. Revelation of how much God loved him. So Revelation chapter 1, we talk about the book of Revelation. Sometimes you say that book, people get nervous, people get scared. Well, I don't understand the entire book. What is the whole book about? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The whole book is a revealing of who Jesus is. 
So who else would he give the book to except the one who really believed that God loved him? Because believing the love of God on another level sets you up to receive revelation no one else got. John starts receiving revelation that the Old Testament prophets had in part, that the other apostles had in part, but he sees it even more clearer. You read through the book of Revelation, there are things that John heard that God says, don't write that down. Seal it up. Don't tell nobody. So John still has information the rest of us don't get. Why? He believed. Jesus loves me. I can lean on Jesus. He'll tell me things. See, you lean on Jesus, he'll tell you things. But not everything he tells you is for you to say. God has secrets. He wants you to keep his secrets. So if God tells you secrets, you start running your mouth, he ain't going to tell you secrets no more. He may even tell you things about other people, but not for you to go tell them and press them, but so that you can pray. God told Abraham, and God went to Abraham, told him exactly what was going to happen. He expected Abraham to know his nature enough to pray and stop it from happening. So you get some people get super spiritual and they know judgment's coming. So, oh, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. Let me announce it so people can um, know my name after the judgment comes. But that's not why God told you judgment's coming. Yes, it's to prepare you so you miss out. But for you to say, hey, can you hold it off? I know you love them. I know you love me. I know you told me because you're looking for someone to stand in the gap. So here I am. I'm standing in the gap because I know you love me. And because you love me, give them more time. Because you love me, because we have this relationship, because we're in covenant, turn their hearts. Give them mercy. Send someone else to talk to them. If you need to, send me. I'll talk to them. He says that God does not rejoice at the death of the wicked. He's not rejoicing at judgment. He rejoices when there's mercy. He rejoices when his love manifests. That's what he wants. But we have to renew our minds to the place that we don't get so excited that judgment's coming. Yes, judgment is coming. Yes, judgment's going to fall. Yes, wrath's going to fall. But it doesn't have to fall today if the church believes God loves them and says, hey, hold it off. The wages of sin is death. Yes, I know their just punishment is coming, but hold it off. Give them another chance. I know they've had a thousand chances, but one more time. Think about everything that happened to you and that you did before you were saved. What if mercy was cut off for you? What if it was cut off for you and that last time you did that thing you knew you weren't supposed to do? And all of a sudden, your life was required and you died. One day away from turning, someone prayed for you. Don't be so quick to cut people off. Don't be so quick to say, God can't do anything with them. Even if you don't know what to pray, says, Father, I know you love them. I know that you love me. I need you to get involved in their life. And he prayed in the Holy Ghost for them. See, the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God. God is love. He is the spirit of love. So when you're praying in tongues, you're praying out the mysteries of love. So you can get into a place where you're praying for somebody and you love them so much. You're praying for their deliverance. You feel like you're them. You've crossed into another realm of prayer, of deeper intercession, to where now you're actually moved. It's not just a mentality. It's a move. 
they could actually go to hell. They could be lost forever. God, that's not acceptable. I, 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 I. Help them. Send the right person. Soften their heart. Give them another chance. What does that come out of? Revelation of how much God loves you and how much God loves them. So God gave the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. But look at Revelation chapter 3 verse 19. Because here's something that's going to happen as you develop your faith in the love of God. This mentality of how much God loves you. And start receiving higher revelation because he loves you. Here's what's going to come with this revelation. Here's what's going to come with this insight into Jesus' character. Here's what's going to come with this revelation. Notice what Jesus tells his church. As many as I love... I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Get some energy, some passion. Do what I just said and repent. So Jesus says, the people I love, I rebuke and chasten. Proverbs 3, 11, 12 says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the the Lord loves, he corrects. Even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 15.32 says, he that refuses instruction despises his own soul. But he that hears reproof gets understanding. Receiving revelation because Jesus loves you will come with correction. Don't run from God's correction. If you receive God's correction, you will get understanding and comprehend him more. I remember a time a number of years ago, there was a person who did me wrong talking about did me dirty. And I forgave them. Let it go. But it seems like they were keep doing things. And I got to the place is enough is enough. And I'm creative. So I was coming up with a creative plan to get him back. It was a great plan. I was telling one of my friends, he says, well, aren't you supposed to walk in love? I was like, dude, didn't I tell you that scripture? And so I'm at this place like, I've had enough. So I've made my decision. I go to bed that night. And I kid you not, my back's turned towards the wall, but I knew in my heart Jesus walked into the room. And I was like, uh-oh. Because I could tell he wasn't happy. He was upset. But do you know what I did? Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Oh, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Oh, if I go to sleep, maybe I won't hear it. I'm telling you, that's what I did. You know, a couple years later as I thought about that story, and I realized what I did. I despised the correction of the Lord. And God told me, if you would have turned, it would have been a blessing for you. Revelation will come with correction. Don't run from God's correction. God will step on your toes. He will tell you, yeah, that's not right. He should point out your favorite sin. He'll keep hammering it, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. Hebrews 12 verse 5 says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as, as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? 
But if you be without chastisement, where we are all partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he, God, does it for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, one of the things this pastor says, God corrects us for our own profit and benefit. God corrects you for your own profit and benefit because he loves you. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 9. We'll shut it down here and pick up next week. What did Jesus tell this church? This is a church that had been living right. But they had many of those who opposed them, many of those who hated them, those who pretended to be religious, but they were wrong. Jesus, behold, I'll make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but they do lie. He says, I'm going to make all those liars who pretend to be religious, who pretend to be fake believers, I will make them come and worship or bow before your feet and to know that I have loved you. See, as you make yourself at home in God's love and receive revelation and correction, there is a victory that awaits you, a victory that is so stunning that those who oppose you will be defeated and admit that Jesus loves you. It's not just winning a little bit. We talked about the absolute victory last week. But not only will be, they be defeated, they're going to say, Jesus loves you. Your God really loves you. They have to bow out and say, I can't handle it because your God loves you. That's victory. I'm not talking about winning and barely getting by. This is more than conquering, like Paul talked about. It's an absolute victory top of last week where your enemy can't get back up again. This is what you're facing has to bow because they realize Jesus loves you. Every demon that was behind this attack says, I can't do it anymore because Jesus loves you. That's what they'll say. Remember, God wants to do things that astonish everybody else based on that he loves you and you receive that revelation that comes from the place of his love for you. So if you want to experience these things, you got to grow in your faith of that God loves you. You have to say it all the time. You got to think it all the time. You have to sing it all the time. You start saying, I'm God's favorite child. Now, I would say that for years. And I would add a little extra to it to annoy people. I would almost apply, I'm God's favorite, you ain't. I wouldn't say that, but sometimes a smirk on my face would say it. But I noticed as I kept saying, I'm God's favorite. I'm God's favorite. I'm God's favorite. I'm God's favorite. Do you know what happened? My confidence was built up. Things didn't bother me because I had said so much, I'm God's favorite. But I realized there was a period of my life I stopped saying it for whatever reason because I forgot to say it or whatever. And things would bother me easier. I'd become more worried, more concerned, even get to a place of fear. I'm like, how is this happening? I'm not this type of person. Oh, I stopped saying I'm God's favorite. What was that based off of? I stopped saying how much God loved me. And if I'm saying he's my, fa- I'm saying 
I'm his favorite, that means he's prone to show favor to me. That God wants to show off. God wants to show me favor wherever I go. So saying, I'm the disciple Jesus loved is saying, I'm God's favorite. It gets you a different mentality. You have to grow in that mentality. If you're going to experience the victory God has for you this year, and if you're going to possess the promised land. It's not for a few special people. Some people think that it's only for these special, big, mighty men and women of God to receive these great victories. No, it's for those who believe that God loves them. People call you some big, mighty man or woman of God because you receive this great miracle. And it's like, I just believed he loved me. I just believe. I just believe and receive. He loves me. 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 It doesn't matter what happens. He loves me. It doesn't matter what they say on the news. He loves me. It doesn't matter what the government does. He loves me. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. He loves me. It doesn't matter what they say at my job. He loves me. It doesn't matter what happens in the economy. He loves me. It doesn't matter what I hear. He loves me. It doesn't matter what I face. He loves me. It doesn't matter what I experience. He loves me. You get such a place when you get this mentality, you get kind of drunk off of it. Because it begins to alter your thinking. Oh, yeah, I can handle that. He loves me. What's that? Yeah, yeah. I ain't bothered by that. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. He loves me, though. You really need to figure out what you're going to do right now. How are you going to handle this situation? He'll tell me because he loves me. See, that's a place of no stress. That's a place of rest. See, the promised land, the book of Hebrews, may get to that on Sunday or next week. It's a place of rest. It doesn't mean there's no fighting. It doesn't mean there's no battles. It's a place I know I'm going to win. It's a place of absolute confidence. The people who don't know will think you're cocky. They will call you arrogant. But you're arrogant or cocky if you think you're doing it. You already know it ain't you. It's faith going, he loves me. It's going to work out. He loves me. Well, what if it doesn't work out? It's going to work out. He loves me. Well, what if it doesn't work out and you die? I go to the place the person prepared because he loves me. He built me a mansion in heaven because he loves me. And if I have questions about it, he's stuck with me because he loves me. So it's always a win-win scenario for the believer. Because death is not the end for you. It's like as we celebrate the life of Billy Graham today. He said years ago, one day you'll hear that Billy Graham died. Don't believe it. Because I'll be more alive than I've ever been. So yes, his body gave out this morning. But he's in the arms of Jesus rejoicing. So that means death is not the end for us. Why? Death has lost its thing, has lost its victory. Why? He loves us. He loved you so much he took away the sting of death. When believers die, they don't feel it. Why? Jesus took the sting away. He loves you. You have to grow in this revelation. You got to grow up in the love of God. Gotta think about how much he loves you. It'll transform everything about you. It'll transform everything you do. Because now it's like, ah, he loves me. 
Now I'm going to live out of his love. Because he loves me so much, I want to love like him. Because Jesus says, love others as I've loved you. You can't love others like that if you don't know how Jesus loves you. You can't love others that way if you've never experienced his love. Because the greater revelation you have of his love, the greater way you'll be able to love others. But that means you've got to grow up. Grow in faith. Grow in renewing your mind of how much God loves you. Don't stand to your feet. I was going to dismiss, but if you have sickness or disease in your body, come here. If you have sickness, disease, pain in your body, any type of infirmity, any type of issue, come here. Any type of sickness, disease, pain, infirmity, any type of issue, small, big, great, whatever, come here. The Bible does say believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The Old Testament says one of God's names is he's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you and takes sickness away from the midst of you. We know by Jesus' stripes we are healed. Matthew 8, 16 and 17 tells us that Jesus took our sickness. He bore our disease. He took it. Why did Jesus take your sickness? He loves you. Why did he bear your sickness and disease? Because he loves you. Why did he receive those stripes? Because he loves you. So if you come to him right now, believe that he loves you. And so you're going to receive a healing and a cure in your body because he loves you. That's all I want you to focus on right now as you lift your hands and close your eyes. Focus on the love of God. And I want you to start saying under your breath, or you can say it out loud, God loves me. God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Start saying that over and over again. Even say your name, God loves, and say your name. Just do that for a few moments and focus on the love of God. Minister Dathan, sing about the love of God. You're
else had the neck issues? You may have not have come forward, but who else had the neck issues? Come on. Anyone else had neck issues? You didn't come forward. Come forward now. The Lord's stopping me for you. up here start saying how much God loves you and loves you as much as you love Jesus say your name that God loves you
Jesus loves you. So he heals you. We had one sister said she had arthritis in her knees. People with arthritis can't run to the wall and come back, can they? But Jesus is a healer of arthritis. Other people had pain in different places and disappeared. Some people I didn't even touch. Why? Jesus loves them. He loves you so much. As you keep growing in the revelation of his love, you'll see manifestations like these increase. They increase and grow in environments that radically believe in the love of God. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.